Welcome to the 175th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions and our weekly look at college football, Major League Baseball, and the NFL. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. And we will start in NCAA football, where Patrick went 3-1 and one with his weekend predictions. Similarly, Patrick went 3-1 and one in his NFL predictions, bringing Patrick to a combined six and two in his weekend predictions this past week in all in football. And that brings him to a 496 and 343 overall record, which is a 15, 59.1% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions. Well, this was the first week without MLB and it will be the last week of the calendar year without NBA predictions as I will get those going this week because the season is starting actually later today. Uh, but yeah, I had a good week of predictions. I was, probably two plays away pretty much from actually going eight no which i don't think i've ever done i might have done it maybe way earlier um but look tennessee as we know in that close game they beat alabama on the last second field goal after alabama missed a last second field goal of their own so alabama could have won that game i also did change that prediction literally on thursday morning right before i posted it my predictions uh because I was not quite sure that Tennessee had what it took to beat Alabama, and I was really just kind of on the fence about it. So I decided to flip it because I hadn't picked a road team, and normally I pick at least one road team, um, and that formula works pretty well. So I decided to flip it so that I'd have that one road team in Alabama, and they really just kind of killed themselves with penalties and other mistakes in that game. Uh, but that was the only loss. Otherwise, we had Utah beating USC, they went for two down one uh, at the end of the game, and that ended up giving them the win after really trailing pretty much the whole game. Uh, Michigan beat Penn State. That game was a dominant win by Michigan, never really in doubt at all. Um, and then TCU came back from behind to beat Oklahoma 43 to 40, sorry, Oklahoma State 43 to 40 in double overtime. Uh, but that was another game that I won, luckily, after that. Uh, that game obviously did not start out well, and Oklahoma State had the lead for a lot of it, but. TCU was able to battle back, get that win in double overtime. And then the Vikings beat the Dolphins without Tua. Still one of the better games of the week. Uh, the Giants beat the Ravens 24-20. to That was the game that I definitely could have won because Lamar threw an, a very ill-advised interception um, in his own territory that led to a Giants touchdown. And if he had not thrown that interception, they could have drove down the field to uh, kind of seal the game um because they were up 20 to 17 at that point and then he fumbled on the last possession of the game when they had a chance to come back and take the lead with a touchdown so that game definitely could have gone my way but it didn't um and then the eagles beat the cowboys and the bills beat the chiefs which were two more predictions that i got right so overall a very good week for me okay well patrick's predictions for next weekend's game will be posted again on our website on thursday at fourth and 24.com so let's move off patrick's weekend predictions and move to a quick look back at week seven action in NCAA football, Patrick, what did you have as the best games of last weekend? Well, I think Alabama and Tennessee have uh, taken the title of game of the year at this point. So obviously I had it as one of the best games of the week. Uh, I already talked about how the Alabama team just kind of shot themselves in the foot the whole game. Uh, serious issues with committing penalties. They had the Saban record for penalties that they broke earlier this year against Texas. And now they broke the school record for penalties in this game, and they did it on a play where Kool-Aid McKinstry had what should have been the game-winning interception on fourth and five, 
but instead a defensive pass interference negated that interception and led to a Tennessee touchdown to tie it at 49 on the very next play. That was before Alabama had their drive where they ended up missing the field goal, which is also another example of them uh, shooting themselves in the foot there. That's a mistake that they can't have after committing 16 or 17 penalties, whatever it was, to miss the field goal at the end of the game was kind of the backbreaker. And then all of a sudden, Tennessee gets downfield, gets their own big play to get in easier field goal range uh, for their kicker, and their kicker kicks it through the uprights, and Tennessee wins that game. Uh, Utah, I mentioned this one too. They won 43-42 to after going for two at the end of the game. They uh, they were aggressive. I mean, I, I guess after already having two losses, it really doesn't feel like you need to avoid uh you don't need to avoid or i guess you do need to avoid overtime at that point because you don't have anything left to lose um you know a two loss pack 12 team is not making the playoff unless they get uh serious help and going to overtime with usc wouldn't be enough uh to do that anyway so they need to win that game in regulation so they went out and tried to do it, and uh, it worked. I mean, sometimes it doesn't work, but they had just gotten two yards easily on the on the play before. Decided to run a similar play, although instead of running this time, it was a pass play, but Cam Rising scrambled and got the two-point conversion. And then USC only had about, I think, 38 seconds left to get into range, maybe even less than that. Um, so they weren't able to get into range, and they weren't able to kick a field goal to go ahead in that game. And Utah squeaked out that one-point win. Um, TCU won in double overtime after Oklahoma State got set back and uh, ended up basically having to settle for a field goal because they were way too, I think they had fourth and 12 or something like that. So they couldn't, they couldn't even try uh, to go for it at all. And TCU was just able to score a touchdown, getting the ball back in second overtime. And that is how they ended their game. I was a back and forth game. TCU outscored Oklahoma State 14 to nothing in the fourth quarter to push the game to overtime. Uh, after Oklahoma State had a 24 to 13 halftime lead um and also a 30 to 16 lead after the third quarter so TCU battled back late in that game uh to secure that victory yeah normally maybe uh Stanford's upset win over Notre Dame would have been on this list but both of those programs lost a lot of luster this year all right let's move over to the biggest upsets of week 7 we will start with Georgia Southern beating James Madison 45 to 38 James Madison still has under 40 rushing yards per game given up. Uh, the best run defense in the country. They were 5-0 on a magical season in their first year up from the FCS. Uh, unfortunately, this win by Georgia Southern ruins that season. James Madison did get ranked, though, so they had that one week where they were ranked, and that is something that they will be able to hold forever because uh, there are still multiple teams that have very long Ranked droughts, uh, obviously Kansas ended theirs this year, but Rutgers has a long one going on. Uh, Indiana ended theirs, I think, in 2020, but they had one before then that was pretty long drought. And there are a lot of other teams who have not been ranked in a very, very long time. Uh, but James Madison avoids that drought to start out their their uh, uh, FBS careers, I guess. I don't know, their FBS tenure as a program. But unfortunately, they're not eligible for a bowl game because of the stupid NCAA rule that if you move up divisions, you can't be in postseason play. Uh, it took two teams out of the NCAA tournament last year uh, as well. So we've we've been all complaining about this for a while now. But James Madison uh, definitely getting a little bit screwed over by that because they are one win away from 
what would typically be bowl eligibility. And they're only playing 11 games as well, but uh, they might go, they're probably going to go eight and three, maybe I would, I would guess. Um, but who knows? They still should have been able to play in a bowl game though. And we know they won't be able to, regardless of if they lose out in the rest of the season and end up five and six, then they wouldn't have been eligible. But if they win one more game, they still won't be eligible, which kind of sucks for them. Uh, but then Illinois ranked number 24 beat Minnesota at home. So how is that an upset? Well, Vegas had Minnesota favored in this game. So I'm going to call it an upset because there weren't really that many upsets this week, but also I needed a place to put in this game. Uh, Illinois wasn't exactly impressive. This game wasn't exactly great and they didn't win on the road, but I put it in an upsets because Vegas said Minnesota was supposed to win. Um, and Illinois deserves some credit for how they've been operating this season. All of a sudden, uh, they are probably the third best team in the Big Ten. I certainly think so. And they're definitely the favorites to win the Big Ten West. And it'll come down to a clash with Purdue, most likely, to decide that uh, that division. Because they've already played the top three teams from last year, actually. Minnesota, Iowa, and Wisconsin. And they are 3-0 against those teams. Funny enough, they lost to Indiana, who has an argument for the worst team in the conference, or at least the second worst team in the conference. Uh, but they were able to beat the top three from last year in the in the Big Ten West division, which is just kind of ironic. But Illinois, 6-0 since, or sorry, 5-0 since their week one loss to Indiana, and they just keep on keep on churning out wins, and that's all you can ask for for that program. Yeah, I guess maybe this is another place where that Stanford-Notre uh, Dame game could have been had anybody really cared. Uh, one place that game couldn't be is the next category, most impressive teams. Number five, Michigan beat number 10, Penn State, 41-17. to 17. Uh, Michigan just dominated this game. I mean, besides one big running play by Sean Clifford on a read option, on I think a third, third and short, um, and one pick six that was a double doink off of multiple helmets. Um, they got nothing on offense, and even that that double doink was obviously not even an offensive touchdown. It was a defensive touchdown, but they just couldn't score in this game. I mean, that that was their issue. They couldn't score, and they couldn't stop the run. We knew their offense was a little bit weak in general, um, but they had a top-five rushing defense in the country going into the week, and Michigan was able to put up more yards in this game alone than Penn State had given up all season prior to that week. Uh, so they just, their, their running defense faltered. Uh, Urban Meyer said that we knew Michigan was going to have to throw the ball because they wouldn't be able to run as effectively as they want to on Penn State. So they're going to have to stretch out the playbook and throw more. And he was uh, blatantly wrong as Michigan only had to throw for 130 yards and still absolutely demolished Penn State. Uh, they did it only through the running game. They didn't need anything else. They barely needed to pass it all in the second half. Um, and then moving on from that, number 18 Syracuse beat number 15 NC State. I'm not so impressed with how this offense has been trending the last few weeks after a really electric start to the season. They've kind of slowed down a little bit. But regardless of NC State having a backup quarterback, their defense was in bend-don't-break mode, and it worked for Syracuse. They only gave up three field goals in the game, um, and Syracuse only had four scoring drives. NC State had three, but in the end, it looks like a blowout on paper because Syracuse had three touchdowns on those four scoring drives as opposed to NC State who had zero and had all field goals in the game. Uh, again, somewhat impressive, not as impressive, I would say, as the Michigan win. Probably not as impressive as the win we're about to talk about as well, uh, just because NC State was playing with a backup quarterback. So I'm not, this is not me saying that Syracuse is now going to go on the road and beat Clemson next weekend. 
Um, but I, I think they can keep that game a lot closer than people might think. Uh, but I'll move on now to number 22, Kentucky, who beat number 16, Mississippi State, 27 to 17. This is just a different team when Will Levis is playing. Uh, they are probably a top 10 team when Will Levis is playing and could be a playoff contender when he's playing. But unfortunately, uh, they had that slip up against Ole Miss, and then they lost the game without Will Levis against South Carolina at home. That is the reason why they're so low in the rankings. Uh, when they're healthy, I have them beating probably half the teams that are ranked ahead of them. Uh, but for now, and obviously Mississippi State was fell victim to that this weekend, who were ranked at 16 going into the game, and now obviously will be ranked below Kentucky. Uh, but look, Kentucky is just a good team. I mean, there's no other way to put it. They're good. Uh, they deserve to be ranked higher. It's really just that issue of having a backup quarterback in one game that kind of screwed them over for a week. But they will be good for the rest of the season. Uh, I expect them to give some of the better teams in the SEC some trouble later in the year. Okay, let's move on to the best road win of Week 7. Clemson beat Florida State 34-28. Uh, they were down 14-7 to in this game, and I think 7 to nothing as well. Uh, but they outscored uh, Florida State 27 and nothing after going down 14 to seven to take a 34 to 14 lead. That was just, I mean, it was just a commanding lead. There was nothing really that Florida state could do at that point. They got 14 points in the fourth quarter, but that was too late at that point. Um, Clemson just look, Florida state's good team going on the road and beating them and beating them pretty comfortably is still a good feat for them. Um, and at that point you might even call this, a trap game because of the fact that Syracuse is ranked in the top 20 and that's who Clemson has on their schedule next week. So, I mean, if this was their performance in a trap game against a good team, I, I don't think it's exactly a trap game because Florida state is pretty good. Um, but still Clemson, good performance on the road, getting that win. They needed it. All right. Any other quick takes from other games across college football week seven? Well, for both the big 12 and the pac 12, they might have their craziest seasons in a while, but both of them might end up with zero playoff teams because the top teams are just beating up on each other too much. I think USC going down to Utah really tank the chances of the Pac-12 because there's still a chance that U that Utah is the most talented team in the Pac-12, but they lost to UCLA. Uh, so that, would, that took them kind of out of contention after the loss to Florida already. USC with one loss, I don't think a one-loss Pac-12 champion is getting in. And uh, that will rest heavily on Oregon and UCLA, who will play who will play each other this weekend. Um, if UCLA wins on the road against Oregon, they probably will put themselves right into the conversation. I'm not saying they'll be ranked in the top four next week, uh, but they probably will rank at seven or six uh, with two wins over Utah and Oregon, one at home, one on the road that are pretty impressive this season. Um, and then you have TCU, who just beat Oklahoma State, but... Now the playoff hopes rest on them, even though they have a hard schedule. Kansas State already has a loss, but they're a good team. Uh, Oklahoma State has that loss against TCU, but it was an overtime, and you could easily see them getting revenge on TCU uh, in the Big 12 championship game. So it'll be interesting in both of those conferences uh, who might move on to the playoff, or will they kind of just tear each other apart and none of them are able to make it? All right, well, that, that wraps up our look at college football for week seven let's move on to our weekly review of major league baseball specifically talking about divisional series playoff action starting in the american league in the alds the astros swept the mariners uh they took game one eight to seven off of a jordan alvarez three run walk-off home run uh in game two 
Jordan Alvarez hit a two-run go-ahead home run to beat the Mariners four to two. Um, and then in game three, the Astros won one to nothing in 18 innings. Uh, this game lasted forever. The Mariners struck out, I think, 17 batters without walking one uh, as a pitching staff. But even that wasn't enough because they just could not generate offense. Um, and the Astros were able to sweep the Mariners, at least while they did get swept. Uh, the Mariners basically got two home games and one because they did play two full nine-inning games um, at home. So the Mariners kind of got two home games, not really. But look. The Astros, they're just better than the Mariners. I mean, this has been proven all season long. Uh, this is, well, it didn't happen in the NLS with the Dodgers and the Padres, uh, but the Mariners made improvements to try to catch up to the Astros, but they just wasn't enough. Uh, the Astros made enough improvements of their own at the deadline that they were able to stay way ahead of the Mariners, and they're just, uh, they're just a better team overall, and they really look like the favorites right now, and they have taken care of their business thus far. Uh, then, in the second series in the ALDS, we have the Guardians and the Yankees. This was supposed to be done by today, but after yesterday's game got rained out, which is the second rain out of the series, uh, we just know that one of these teams will beat the other team in five games. We'll take three or five from that other team. Uh, we don't know who. Uh, the Yankees won four to one in the first game. The Guardians came back to win game two and game three, four to two and six to five. And then the Yankees won game four. 42 when facing elimination behind a good start by Garrett Cole. Um, but in terms of the rest of the series, I don't I don't think we're predicting today alone, but uh, I think the Yankees are going to win. Not quite sure. They should be able to win at home. Uh, both teams are going to be very, very taxed heading into a series where that's not going to benefit them at all uh, against a deeper team in the Astros. So we will see how that affects them. Um, and then we will predict actually the ALCS later. But for now, let's move on to the NLDS. The Padres took three or four from the Dodgers. The Dodgers won the first game five to three, but then the Padres won game two and game four by the same score, five to three. Uh, and in game three, the Padres won two to one. This was just a masterclass from the Dodgers of how not to execute uh, in a baseball game or in a baseball series. Two for 26 with runners in scoring position uh, in the series. It's just not good enough. I mean, obviously, or you just, you just can't do that. I mean, it doesn't matter who you're playing. It doesn't matter if you were 22 games better than them in the regular season. It doesn't matter if you think you're more talented, if you have a better pitching staff, which arguably the Padres at this point might have the better pitching staff based on the Dodgers injury situation and uh, just a lot of things going on. Um, but, and, and the Padres just generally their pitching has just been on fire in the postseason, especially their bullpen. Um, but look, the Padres just out executed the Dodgers. They flat out outplayed them. The Dodgers had a three, nothing lead in game four and after both bullpens had been so stingy for the whole series and neither team had really been able to mount a comeback against the bullpens, the Padres were able to put up five runs in the seventh inning off the Dodgers, um, and that was enough to propel them to the win. They just needed to score those five runs in one inning. Uh, ironically enough, it was two to nothing in the top of the seventh. The Dodgers had bases loaded, one out, or no one out, ended up with only one run. The Padres had bases loaded, no one out, ended up with five runs. So, it's really that that was the microcosm of the series right there was just that seventh inning where the Dodgers had a lead, ended up with only one run extra tacked on, and the Padres end up scoring five and coming back to win the game. So look, the Padres deserve to win the series. Absolutely. They completely outplay the Dodgers. And uh, that's all I got on the Dodgers. And I will move on to the Phillies and the Braves where the same thing happened. Uh, the Phillies just 
outplayed the Braves. Uh, the Phillies won game one, seven to six, uh, and then also won game three and four, uh, nine to one and eight to three. And then in game two, the Braves were shutting down the Phillies bats, winning three to nothing. But um, in the end, the Braves, look, they just, they had a series of their own where they really just didn't put together anything offensively. Um, and because of that, that was kind of their downfall. I mean, the Phillies scored nine and eight in the games at home. And after kind of their outburst in game one, where you could argue the Braves were trying to uh, knock off the rust, that was kind of it. I mean, by the end, the Phillies just out hit them, outscored them, out homered them, took all the momentum and then just ran with it to win that fi those final two games of the series uh, at home in Philly. And because of that, we will now have the Padres and the Phillies in the NLCS. But speaking of this championship series, let's move on to the ALCS predictions. Uh, I have the Astros beating the Guardians in five games if it's them, and the Yankees in six. Obviously, this would be a lot cleaner of a segment if there was, you know, an actual winner in the ALCS. But obviously, that delay is stopping that. But we still have to predict now because the NLCS also starts tonight. Uh, so we do have to say these now but what is your prediction for the alcs i think the astros win in five no matter who it is i think whoever comes out of the series with all the rain delays the extra day of rest for the astros all that kind of stuff um cleveland and yankees have to play or take all watch this game will go 18 innings they'll burn their pitching staff i just think the astros in five they're they're too good and whoever comes out of that guardians yankee series is going to be a little bit uh, worn out yeah the rain out kind of the rain out kind of Makes me think less of the Yankees in terms of being able to push the series to six, but I don't think the Astros are losing it regardless. Definitely could end in five games. Um, but then in the NLCS, uh, I have the Padres beating the Phillies in six games. I just think their pitching is hot right now. So is the Phillies. Um, but when they played each other this season, the Phillies out homered the Padres five to one, and there really wasn't much scoring on either side. I think both team OPSs were below 600 when they played each other. Um, and there is some Bryce Harper revenge factor here because Blake Snell did break his thumb and he was out for a while because of that injury. Uh, I'm sure the Phillies want to beat the Padres a lot and get to the World Series. But the way that the Padres are playing right now, if they're able to keep executing how they did in the Dodgers series, they will easily win this series because they're not playing as good of a pitching staff and easily not as good of a bullpen um, as they were in the Dodgers series. But on the other hand, also, this series is impossible to predict because both of these teams all year long would look like the worst team in the league all like for a week and a half. And then the next week they would just go out and be the best team for a week or two um, and everything would be clicking. So it's really, it's really an impossible series to predict. Um, but I'm just going to go with the Padres off the fact that they played and beat the better opponent. And it looked like it was really out of their own, um, ability to execute and shut down the other team. Whereas the Phillies just looked like they were playing a Braves team that just kind of didn't bring the same level of intensity. Um, and they just kind of outscored them. But I don't know if that run of scoring is going to be able to continue against the Padres who have a way better pitching staff than the Braves do. Um, so I'm going with the Padres in six, but this is one of those series where you just sit back, relax and watch it because it's going to be weird one way or another. And it's going to be very entertaining. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big baseball fan, as you know, and I don't even know if I'm going to sit back, relax, and watch it. Maybe because it's just too bitter for me to watch the Padres play the Phillies when it could have been the Dodgers had they executed uh, to get back to the World Series. I, 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 I struggled with this like you did for the same reasons. Neither of these teams, I mean, these are what the the lowest two seeds 
um, in the National League for, in the playoffs. I struggled and I'm like, okay, Padres have the home field advantage. I'll take the Padres in seven. Maybe I'll watch game seven. I don't know. Um, I really, like you said, these teams just don't inspire me. Um, I don't think Major League Baseball is thrilled that one of these two teams is going to be in the World Series. Might be the lowest ratings uh, for a World Series well, ever. That is not what I said at all, actually. But okay, <laughs> okay. Well, I actually uh, said unless the Yankees very weird, and you yeah, just watch yeah, the series I, because you have no idea I, what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't like either of these teams. So I'm going with the Padres in seven, just because they have home field advantage and they got an extra. Well, they didn't get an extra day of rest. Home field advantage. That's the end of it. Uh, let's speak at the end of it. Let's move off of our look at Major League Baseball and let's move on to the NFL, uh, which continued its season this past weekend. A couple teams had some teams had some buys, but let's take a look at week six action in the NFL. Patrick, what were the best games of last weekend? There were a lot of them. Well, I started by uh, I will start by talking again about the Giants who beat the Ravens 24 to 20. I already covered this in weekend predictions, so I won't be going over it again too much. Uh, but the Giants able to pull off a win over a quality team, obviously, in the Ravens. The Ravens are now three and three, but still atop uh, their division in the AFC North. Um, whereas the Giants are five and one, but somehow not on top of the NFC East, which is a crazy sentence to say after that division has been the worst division for so long and going nine and seven or 10 and six was enough to win it for many, many years. And all of a sudden now five and one won't even put you in first place. Um, but speaking of the AFC North, the Steelers, we're able to pull off the upset, beating the Buccaneers 20 to 18. Uh, we saw Tom Brady very, very mad at his offensive line uh, in that game. And the Buccaneers just could not get anything going whatsoever um, on offense. And they got the game winning drive that they needed, um, but they weren't able to hit the two point conversion to tie the game. I, I shouldn't say game winning, but game tying. Um, and then the Steelers had multiple third and longs and the Bucs could not stop them uh, with, even though Pickett got knocked out with a concussion and Trubisky had to come back in, Trubisky was able to get two big third down completions while the Steelers were trying to ice the clock and Brady never even got the ball back. Um, so the Buccaneers never had an opportunity to uh, come back fully in that game after they missed that two point conversion. And if they did, I mean, the Steelers were well within scoring range. Um, so even if they had tied it, the Steelers probably would have won by running out the clock and kicking a field goal. But at the same time, a great job by the Steelers to run out the clock with the lead. Um, and then the Bills beat the Chiefs 24 to 20. This game was lower scoring than I expected it to be. Um, but at the same time, that's credit that should go to both of those defenses, uh, especially the Chiefs for looking better than I would expect them to look. I mean, the Bills are obviously supposed to be the most complete team. The Chiefs are supposed to be a team that just kind of gets into a shootout with everybody and just squeaks out the win when they score 40 and you just can't keep up with their pace. Uh, but they played well enough on defense in this game. I was surprised to see a 0-0 first quarter uh, here. But the Bills, in the end, they deserve more credit because their defense shut down that vaunted offense of the Chiefs, uh, and they were able to squeak out the win by four. Then you had the Bengals who had to come from behind to beat the Saints 30-26. to they outscored the Saints nine to three in the fourth quarter to do so. They were down 20 to seven at the half, but they made, or sorry, 20 to 14 at the half, but they made the comeback in the second half. Uh, they were able to beat the Saints and they're now tied with the Ravens at three and three at the top of the AFC North. That division looking pretty weak this year. Uh, then speaking of, well, no, this division looks fine, uh, but there's a weak team here. 
the Chargers beat the Broncos 19 to 16 in overtime. Well, I was going to say, speaking of a weak division, it's not a weak division. It's just the fact that the Broncos have looked horrible all season long. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people are now saying Russ is one of the worst quarterbacks in the league, considering the weapons he has. Uh, for him to be 25th in QBR with Jerry Judy, um, with their running game that they had, even even without Javante Williams, uh, with Cortland Sutton, they have too many weapons for Russell Wilson to be in the bottom 10 of the league in QBR. And really, QBR is not the only stat you have to use. They just look horrible. Uh, they have had so many games where all they need is like one or two drives uh, to score. And then all of a sudden they'll win the game. They went over. To, they went into overtime in this game, had two drives, never got the ball into the Chargers territory and weren't able to win because of it. And then the Chargers get the ball back on their third drive and they're able to kick a field goal and win in the sudden death format of overtime after nobody has scored for a while. So look, the Broncos just look rough. The Chargers with all they've had to deal with to be four and two is really good for them. They're in a really good place. I don't think they're going to be able to overtake the Chiefs for the division. Um, but at the same time, it's still a possibility. And the Chargers are only going to get healthier in the rest of the year. Uh, they didn't even have Keenan Allen in this game, but they were still able to fend off the Broncos. So a good win for the Chargers. Uh, a close game in overtime. Maybe it shouldn't go in best games, but there's no other category. Maybe we need to rename it to close games uh, of week six, which I definitely could advocate for, but uh, definitely not the greatest game, but it was close. Okay, let's move on to the most impressive teams of week six. I will go with the Seahawks as my number one. Well, not as my number one most impressive team, but first team I'm going to talk about because they held the Cardinals to nine points in their game. Uh, 19 to nine was the final score. The Seahawks got the win over the Cardinals. They are technically tied atop the division with the Rams now uh, in first place, but good for the Seahawks. I mean, look, this, this wasn't uh, another Geno Smith uh, breakout game where he looked like statistically a top five quarterback in the NFL. Uh, but instead the defense got it done and they were able to shut down the Cardinals and lead to an easy win for the Seahawks at home. Then you have the Jets who went on the road to Lambeau and shut down the Packers. Definitely impressed with their defense in this game. Their special teams got a touchdown. So their offense was their offense was good against a pretty good defense that the Packers have scoring 20. But that defensive touchdown um, and also getting the Packers or holding the Packers, I should say, to 10 points. It's just something that you don't expect the Jets to do. I mean, obviously, they're 3-0 and on the road this year. It's just very, very surprising how this team has come out and just played better. I mean, Joe Flacco started the season as the starting quarterback. Now they got Zach Wilson, who said mixed results to start the year. But the fact of the matter is this team is playing way above expectations, and they deserve credit for getting to 4-2. and um, And then you have the Patriots, who are 3-3. and They won 38-15 to this weekend over the Browns, who continue to struggle. Uh, now at two and four, uh, could be atop that AFC North division, but instead they sit at the bottom tied with the Steelers. Um, every team in that division, two and four or three and three, by the way. Uh, but the Patriots, they're in a tougher division. They have the Bills in their division. They have the Dolphins in their division, but they're tied for second. Well, actually, no, they're not because the Jets are in second, but they're tied for third with the Dolphins, um, looking to pass up the Jets later in the season to get to second. But for now, the Bailey Zappi show continues. Uh, as he's taken over for Mac Jones and actually done a pretty good job uh, for the Patriots. And uh, we will see if that continues in the future or if Mac Jones comes back and starts or what may happen if Bailey Zappi gets injured or he starts to falter. Does Mac come back or does Mac just come back straight when he's healthy? We don't know. Uh, but for now, Patriots riding with Bailey Zappi and it's worked out pretty well. 
Uh, then you have the Eagles, who are the NFL's only unbeaten now for two weeks, 6-0. and They have beaten the Cowboys 26-17, to scored 20 points in the second quarter, didn't need anything else in the rest of the game. Uh, their defense was great in this game. Their offense was as good as it needed to be. Um, and overall, I just like what I see from the Eagles. I mean, I'm just very, very impressed with this team. They might not necessarily be the best team yet. I don't think they're better than the Bills. I'm still not going to give them that title. But with the with the schedule they've played, I do think they deserve to be 6-0. and And I think they have played well enough to be at 6-0. and It's not like it's entirely a fluke. Have they had they played the Bills schedule? They might not be six and zero, but I still think they'd be at least four and two, or even maybe even five and one, just like the Bills. Um, but then moving on to another five and one team, you have the Vikings, who went on the road and beat the Dolphins twenty four to sixteen. Yeah, Teddy Bridgewater was well, actually he was the backup in this game with Skylar Thompson, but Bridgewater and Skylar Thompson were playing not too high. I get it, definitely an easier matchup when you're playing a team's backup quarterback. But the Vikings were still able to execute when they needed to on offense. Um, and their defense played well throughout the game to hold the Dolphins down. I mean, the Dolphins had three points going into the fourth quarter, and one of the touchdowns they scored was kind of in garbage time. Um, so, look, a good win for the Vikings, uh, a good one on the road, and they should be satisfied with how they played so far this season. Okay, any other quick takes from around uh, NFL Week 6 action? Well, we talked about the NFC East being better. Uh, the 49ers continue to say, sustain more and more injuries every week. And with the Rams' relative struggles and the Cardinals' poor start, the NFC West has switched place with the East uh, in that divisional hierarchy. The East is now the best in the NFC, thanks in part to the Giants and Eagles, um, and also the Cowboys, who are 4-2 and two with Cooper Rush starting at quarterback, which is something no one had uh, to start the season. Uh, but look, just because of that, I mean, obviously Washington is pretty bad, uh, but just because of that, the NFC East has overtaken the West. Look, the Cardinals, they're two and four. The best record in the NFC in the NFC West are the Seahawks at three and three and the Rams at three and three. And that is just not what you'd expect from that division uh, coming out to start this year. And the 49ers with their injuries, with that loss to the Falcons, they just look horrible as well. So it's really just a mess up and down the division. And the Rams have more injuries on their offensive line and this whole situation going on with Cam Akers. So the Rams might limp out of this division in the same way that the e that Eagles and Cowboys teams of the past have uh, out of the NFC East, but the East with the Eagles, the Giants, even the Cowboys, they just look very good across the board in that division. Um, and same in the AFC East, by the way, with the Dolphins and the Patriots being tied for last place at three and three. I mean, that's that's a very very strong division as well. Uh, probably stronger top to bottom than the NFC East, but top teams not as good as the Eagles and the Giants, the Cowboys for me right now. But overall, that is what I have for the week. And that's all I got for the NFL. Okay. Well, that's all we have for this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, October 25th, where we will recap Patrick's weekend predictions, have our weekly look at Major League Baseball, this time the start of League Championship Series playoff action, assuming the Yankees-Guardian Series ever ends, uh, and look back at the highlights from Week 8 of college football action and Week 7 of NFL action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his spreadsheet predicting every college football game for the 2022 regular season, our weekly college football rankings that were posted on Monday, and Patrick's picks for next, next weekend's games that will be posted, as always, on Thursday. All of that content is on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.